So yeah, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be healthy and well and um, here on your Sabbath day. I pray that as we open and um, start this study that you could be with us, please give us your Holy Spirit. Um, please help us to learn um, and grow in the places where you want us to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So. Um, we're going to be turning to John chapter 3, going through the Gospel of John. Um, so John chapter 3, and we're going to really be focusing on verse 1 to verse um, 21. So um, I think maybe what we should do is... John chapter 2, you said we... John chapter three. John chapter three, um, and we're going to be focusing on verse one to twenty-one. Um, but before we start reading, let's just give a little um, background on where we're at previous to this, because it's going to make sense as soon as we jump into verse one. It's going to be um, we kind of need to know where we are in the scene. So, what happened last time? Who was here last time that can give us a little? or even look, you could look back in your Bible to chapter 2, but what, what, is, what is just happening? Oh yeah, we were looking at Jesus turning water into wine. Cool, so Jesus turned water into wine, and then what happened? Then, um... Yeah, then uh, the, the, the disciples believed, then the next thing he done, they like which was turning out which is the like mashing up the church they were like doubting him and stuff cool right so the uh there was all sorts of stuff going on in in the temple right with people were selling stuff and um you know selling um salvation selling animals selling changing money from like normal money into temple money so they could buy stuff in the temple and all sorts of nonsense is going on right um and jesus came in there and, and mashed up the place um said you've changed my my father's house into you know a house of merchandise um and ran all those people out of there and you almost get this idea that you know the pharisees were quite um startled kind of taken back by what was going on yeah um, and it was almost like a prophet of old was rebuking them, and they kind of knew what that that kind of looked and felt like. So, um, so you could almost imagine within the Pharisees, right, that this was al it was almost like, wow, like, gosh, look at this guy who look at the authority he's doing this with, but also it's kind of stepping on our toes a bit. And so you, we've got this kind of um, a group of the Pharisees that are probably a bit more like, no, nah, no, nah, this guy can't be doing this, can't be taking authority like this. And then another group are kind of um, kind of intrigued about who this Jesus character is. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to start in in chapter one. Um, sorry, chapter three, verse one, uh, and then we'll just go um, verse by verse as we go through it. So. Um, if someone could read this one, that'd be good. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Cool. 
So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He was he would have been there from the previous chapter, so he would have seen Jesus do the thing in the temple. Mm. Um, and so, you know, do we do we know the his, history of Pharisees? Like, does anyone know where Pharisees come from? No, I can't remember, but he knew of it before vaguely. Anybody? Okay, so the Pharisees, right? Um, if we think back to before um, the gospel started um, and say just after the Babylonian occupation and uh, into the Persian occupation and then they were allowed to go back, um, rebuild the temple, etc. The Jews um, finally got the message that worshipping idols was, was bad. You know, they spent, they spent from the time of Moses up to now for them to finally get the message that they shouldn't do... Um, they should they shouldn't mess around with idols because either some other nation is going to come and and destroy them or they're going to go back into captivity or all, all of this right so um basically the jews said look we don't want to go back into captivity but we still don't really love god too much so um i know god wants us to love him and then hence why we wouldn't worship idols but we're going to forget about that we're just going to make sure that we 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 obey all the rules so we should make sure we obey the rules. That means God can't punish us. That was their driving force, right? Mm. And out of this mentality came this group called the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees mean like um, set apart. So it was almost like um, similar to like what we would think monks are, right? So they kind of distance themselves from society. Those who are lowly, those who are, um, are you know, not clean or unclean in their eyes. There wouldn't be anything, um, they wouldn't, take any part in that there would be aloof from society but there would be ruling there would be a, um, a very very much political and religious leaders um, within you know Israel and there were kind of this group of quite wealthy quite established uh, people so when Jesus is coming in here with this kind of rhetoric this authority and all this kind of stuff is already challenging either going to challenge them or it's going to um, spark their interest. So you meet Nicodemus, and it has sparked his interest for sure. So, verse 2. Right. The same came to Jesus by night, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do, except God be with him. Cool. Right. Let's break this down. So it says... The same came to Jesus by night. What does that mean? So it went to him after hours when everyone was gone. Went to him after hours. Cool. What does that what, what does that suggest he about Nicodemus? Right, he doesn't want to be seen. Right? Why does he not want to be seen? And there could be a number of reasons for this because the Bible doesn't technically explain. So I'm, I'm, I don't want to like say there's a right or wrong answer. But why do you think that he doesn't want to be seen or he's coming at night? I think it's because he had an association with either the scribes or the Pharisees or one of them, why he didn't want to be publicly viewed to be seen to, what's the word, to be accepting of Jesus. Cool, right? So you, you got to think he's, he's almost like one of the, um, the BUC leaders, yeah? And, and he's um, got all of this authority, he's quite wealthy, um, and he doesn't want to go to someone who is not part of that leadership, not part of the, that association, 
um, someone quite new, someone he hasn't really heard yet, go to them in the middle of the day when everyone's watching and kind of endorse him. So he goes at night. Why, why else would he go at night? Something that is actually quite a good thing. It could also be that maybe he wanted like a one-on-one and during the day, Jesus is normally busy. Cool, very much so. Cool, right? So he could have also just wanted a one-on-one chat with Jesus, right? And during the day, you know, Jesus always got a crowd around him. He's always, he's either preaching, he's healing, he's doing something. Jesus is quite a, a, a magnet, magnetizing figure, right? So people, you know, it's hard to get Jesus's attention in the middle of the day. So we, he went at night to see if he could have this one-on-one thing with him. And it's interesting because how many times are we, do we like seek out for Jesus, you know, things of, from, from the biblical persuasion or anything to do with Christianity? Um, do we seek out in groups and, and in church settings and in whatever, rather than actually like sitting down ourselves and talking to Jesus and praying and reading the Bible ourselves? Yeah. So in one hand, Nicodemus is trying to be a bit sly, trying to be, um, doesn't want to come out in the open and really show that he wants to go speak to Jesus because of his, because of his pride. But at the same time, it's kind of good because he wants to have that one-on-one connection, one-on-one talk with Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Let's continue. So um, from when he says, it says, and he came to Jesus in the night and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God. For no man can do miracles as thou doest, um, except God be with him. What is what is Nicodemus trying to do? He's trying to. Hmm. He's clearly saying that he's acknowledging Jesus. He's acknowledging Jesus, but but is he? I think maybe if you ask what his ulterior motive might be. Maybe he's trying to get Jesus to teach him how to do what he's doing. Okay. I, I was going to say that, is he trying to get con- confirmation? Like, he's kind of like half saying it and then so that Jesus can be like, yeah, like, that's me, you're right. Okay, interesting, interesting. Mm. What else? Okay, it's, it's, what I think, right, is Nicodemus is being quite, um, quite, what's the word? Um, he, he's, I don't think he's being facetious necessarily or, um, or sarcastic, but he's trying to, he, he's trying to um, appeal to Jesus or make them kind of be on the same footing. Nicodemus himself feels like he is this. Right. Nicodemus feels like he's a rabbi. He also feels like he's um, a teacher that comes that comes from God in the same way. So when he goes to Jesus, he says this to kind of flatter Jesus. Mm. And he's hoping that Jesus goes, yeah, you too, man. And then what he's hoping that they will have is an intellectual discussion about their religion. Mm. So he, he, he feels like he's going to go to Jesus. Rabbi, I, we know you're a man sent from God. We've seen the miracles. Let's have, let's, 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 um, let's chat. Mm. Let's talk. Yeah. Um, he's hoping that Jesus will go, yeah, Rabbi, Pharisee, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, I've been, I've been meaning to, to talk to you. What could you teach me? What could I, could I teach you? That's what, that's what Nicodemus has come to this meeting for, right? How, however, 
<laughs> How does Jesus respond? Let's read chapter uh, verse three. Jesus answered, like, can you hear me properly? Yeah, yeah, I can hear Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, let a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Great. So, wow. So <laughs> what happened? Cut right to the chase. <laughs> Cut right to the chase. So, 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 Nicodemus came in, Rabbi, Rabbi, let's chat, let's talk. Yeah, I'm a rabbi too. Yeah, yeah, we're all there. And Jesus said, what? You cannot go to heaven unless you get baptised. Yeah. Cool. Unless you be born again, unless you get baptised, you cannot um, see the kingdom of heaven. Right? Now... Let's be let's be very specific by the word born again, right? What do we think born again means? Being baptized of the spirit and of the water. Being baptized of the spirit and of the water. But what does a being born again actually mean? Like literally, not even let's not talk about biblical terms. What would be born again mean? You are birthed again. You are born into life again. You'd be a new person, right? You'd be born into life again. You'd be fresh. Mm-hmm. So so if you're a Pharisee, right? You're a teacher, you've learned, you've been reading the scriptures since you were a kid, you've gone through seminary, da, 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 people respect you, you teach in church every week, da, 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 right? You feel there's nothing wrong with you. You give to the poor, you are a philanthropist, you teach, you read, everything's good, right? You go to this man and the man says you need to be born again. What does that think? What does that tell you? If someone says you need to start afresh, what does that tell you? That everything I was doing was a waste of time. <laughs> what you were doing before was a waste of time. Mm. Yeah. If someone says start again, that means what you did before weren't, weren't good enough. Mm. Yeah. So, so a, a teacher of, of, of religion back in the day came to this man who goes, yeah, 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 we need to forget it. He needs to be born again. And if you don't, if you're not born again, then what? Not even that you won't even make heaven. What does it say? You cannot see the kingdom. It says you won't even, you can't even see it. No, no, make it there. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven. No, no, be a part of it. Yeah? Okay, let's dig deeper into this um <clears throat> this born again um thing. But in fact, let's let's continue reading. We're gonna we'll dig deep from, from verse five. Um, and verse six, but say, so, well, what did Nicodemus say on, say back when Jesus said this? Verse four, someone could read. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, <laughs> what's Nicodemus doing? Trying to be smart. He's trying to be smart. <laughs> he's trying to be he's, now Nicodemus is being facetious what is Nicodemus saying? basically mocking it like I got born again yeah so I can go and be bug, go back into the womb and come out again like he's, he's mocking it cool I think you're going to have to come closer to the thing if you talk oh, okay. I was just saying that like he's mocking it because 
he's put it into practical terms to make it seem like what Jesus is saying is silly. So, yeah. Cool. He's like, sorry, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm. A, do you know who I am? I'm Nicodemus. You know what I mean? What do you mean? Like, you think I? What am I supposed to go back into my mother's room and start again? Yeah. What did Jesus say back? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, cool. Let's stop here for a bit. Okay. Um, what is this saying? What is Jesus saying right here? It says, Jesus answered, Very, very, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? Come on, guys, you need to talk to me. Saying that it's not... Well, first of all, he's dismissing the silly point of going back into his mother's room. True, he didn't even answer it, like his previous comment. Yeah. Um, but he's talking about... that without being born of the water and spirit, you, can, you can't enter. Okay, what is... What, is, but what does so it mean? Being born of the water is the actual physical action of being baptised in water, like the submersion. Okay. And then being one of the spirit is like the change in heart and surrender, I think. Okay, cool. All right, who believes that? Who believes that if you're not born of the water, so let's say if you're not baptised and if you don't have the spiritual baptism, then you're not making the kingdom of heaven. Come on, guys. There's 14 people in this chat. Someone must have a have a have an answer. So you're saying who believes that? Yeah, who believes that? Who believes that if you're not baptized and if you're not born of the spirit? But let's even take one one each one um, as it is. If you're not born, if you're not baptized, you're not making the kingdom of heaven, right? Let's keep keep it simple. Who believes that? Well, Jesus did say it. I think I believe it. But at, the, but at the same time, I feel like there's probably cases of people who haven't. I don't know. I think I believe it. Right, cool, Maz, go ahead. I was going to say something like the thief on the cross makes me think True. not necessarily that there's, yeah, yeah. Cool. So what happened with the thief on the cross then? Well, the thief on the cross, um, he like expressed that he believed in Jesus and he was like asking him to remember him in uh, his kingdom and Jesus um, assured him that he would would um, have a place with him in his kingdom but with the thief on the cross it was impractical for him to be able to get baptised because he didn't have the opportunity yeah okay so the thief on the cross obviously Jesus Basically, Jesus didn't tell the thief on the cross, ah, I hear your repentance, but sorry, bro. Um, seeing as you're up here, no there's no water around. I can't really baptise you. It's a bit sticky. Sorry, you're still going to, you know, you're not, not going to be saved. He didn't say that, right? No, yeah. He said, today, I will see you in paradise. Mm. Right, I tell you today, I will see you in paradise, right? That's what, the, that's what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. And so, 
how do we make sense of this text? Because this says, very, very clearly, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I think the spirit is the most important part of it. Because like the thief on the cross example, I feel like him coming to that realization and accepting Christ, I think that was his re-being birth of the spirit. Right. Um, but I this says water and spirit. Yeah, right? I know, I know. So I, I don't have. An Why would Jesus that. not just say spirit? Yeah, I don't have an answer for that one. What do you guys think? Ask that question again, Sirish. So Jesus says in verse five, it says, "Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water." and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Or kingdom of God. However, a minute ago, we just said that there are examples in the Bible. Okay, previous to, you know, um, the New Testament, we haven't really heard about baptism too much. So um, all of the people of the Old Testament didn't get baptized, right? But even if we say maybe Jesus is setting a new principle here um, and we go from here onwards, um, the thief on the cross didn't w- didn't get baptized, right? Wasn't able to get baptized. He was on the cross. He repented while, while he was on the cross. Jesus forgave him and told him he's going to be in heaven one day. Um, but he wasn't baptized. So what is this text talking about when it says, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven." I think it's saying um, if you don't accept. Jesus was your Lord and Savior, you can't go to heaven. Okay. Um, but why wouldn't he just say the Spirit? Is the the water here maybe actually like the the washing of your sins, like the actual like putting like washing off your old self? So like the spirit is nah, ignore me, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. We're getting, we're getting there. We're getting there. I thought, Ruben, were you going to answer now? You've had the question. Am I allowed to um, make make a comment? Oh, hi, hi, hi. How are you, Michelle? Good. Um, I'm I'm listening to this and very interesting. Um, because I think not everybody will be baptized in heaven. Um. Not everybody who enters the kingdom of God will have that opportunity for baptism. But I think it's recognising your need of Christ in your life, recognising that you want to make that commitment to Christ in your life. That comes way before you enter into the waters of baptism. So I think it's, it's making that recognition, making that commitment. Baptism is the outward and public declaration of your commitment to Christ. But just because somebody isn't baptized doesn't mean that they're not committed to Christ. Thank you. Cool. All right, so we were saying that basically, um, Jesus is talking to say, you should get baptized. However, if you don't have the opportunity, it's still in your heart, so it's okay. I think that is what um, Michelle's point was, right? Which um, could be the answer. I think there's maybe two different ways to look at this, right? Either um, 
Jesus says, um, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, the water could be um, your natural birth. So your natural birth would be when you were first born, born of your mother. Um, you know, your water breaks, you're born of the water. Um, and then of the spirit would be your, um, your baptism, right? Baptism of your soul before, you know, the, the water um, is done in, in public, right? So that could be one example of it. Um, the other um, interpretation outside of what Michelle said is that both the water and the spirit refer to baptism of the spirit. Now, um, where does that come from? If we go to Ezekiel 36, um, verses 25 to 27. I mean, someone could read that. Ezekiel 20, 36, 25 to 27. Thirty what? 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. Then, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Then, will, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgment and do them. Cool. All right. So that text um, also uses this idea of water cleansing, um, but it's talking about not literal water. It's not like someone is going into a bath, but it's talking about um, getting in a, a clean heart, the, the renewing of the spirit, right? So, um, so those are the kind of um, interpretations we can have from this text. However, what we do know is that, you know, in, in the examples where people aren't able to be baptised, um, it's not going to stop you from getting into heaven. But if you have the opportunity to, and you don't, what would that suggest? If someone gives you the opportunity to be baptised and you say no, what would that suggest? Maybe they don't accept this thing. That probably you haven't had the baptism of the spirit yet. Yeah. Likely. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's true. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't if, if you're given the opportunity, right, it's time to get baptized and you say no, or you have the the um the spirit working on your heart and you deny it, um, then that suggests that you probably haven't had the spiritual baptism, which which is the reason why you wouldn't have the water baptism. Right? Okay. Let's go a bit deeper. What do, what do, what is baptism? What is being born again? What do you guys think? I was going to say, my sister Adele said the other day, baptism is like um, an outward expression of showing your commitment to Jesus. Okay. Um, see, this is... Baptism, yes. Okay, let's, let's not use the word baptism because I feel like baptism as a word is going to be generally talk, um, talked about as the, the outward show of the ceremony or the thing that we do when, you know, the church comes together and we go, go down the water. What I'm talking about is the, the process of being born again. What does that mean? Yeah. 
because anyone could get into the water and be dunked underwater and yeah. call it a baptism, right? So what is actual um, baptism? Because it goes a little bit more than just saying, I'm committed to Jesus, right? There was something Hi. else with that. Hi. Sorry, I just joined. You asked what does being born again mean? Isn't it sort of also the fact that God's grace completely clears your slate for want of a word so that in being born again because when a child is born they have no sin on them they haven't done anything yet and it's it's a it's you it's God claiming back your innocence for you in a way awesome right so that's definitely the first aspect of being born again right the first aspect of being born again is a new life it's a new slate it's a different thing so what you did before as we said with um, Nicodemus doesn't matter anymore we're throwing that away and in the same way uh, for Nicodemus, that's a pride exercise because you thought you did a lot of good things before. It's also helpful for those who, uh, who life has damaged before and had a mess of a life before. Um, being born again means that you have a completely new, a completely fresh start. What else does it mean? Because it goes a bit deeper than that. Like what if we're, if we're talking about what does being born again mean, right. the system of baptism and all the rest of it, spiritual baptism, let's yeah. talk about. Yeah. Um, and we said that being born again refers to um, ha having a new life. Yeah. That's perfect. So it does that um, indeed, but there's something more to it. It's not just the fact that I, Reese, can, can start again from when I was a child. Mm. What is it actually, what, what more is there to it? Mm. being intentional being intentional okay we're getting there if it was just me being born um and having a new life then why wouldn't i just be the same person i was now because now you have the chance to change your actions it's not about you reclaiming your innocence it's about you maintaining it in a way and that making decisions in accordance with god's will cool right mm. fair enough but what has changed from my old life to my new life because I can say, right, I've had a new life and now I can try and be better in this life. But baptism isn't really saying that, right, this is a new slate and I'm just going to try to be better. There's something that is literally, there's something that should have changed from your baptism. You choose to be baptised or you choose to be born again because now there's something different. So what is different about this experience versus your first birth? I think this is the fact that your life, the leadership of your life has now changed when we baptized this also a surrendering isn't it so we're supposedly saying this is not going to be me or myself anymore this is me saying the life i now lead is in your hands but let it show however you feel cool. all right let's go um thanks daniel let's go to another text it's going to um kind of help us to, to break this down even more right um so we're going to go to um, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You go there, someone could read that. 2 Corinthians 5.17. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have now have all things have become new. What does it mean for someone to be a new creature? What you were before is gone, right? Um, And why that is so deep, when we talk about what it was there before is gone is, is it's not just the fact that me as a person doesn't have any history anymore. And so, you know, my past has been erased. Being a new creature, means that you are now trying to operate from a, from the place where Adam was operating from. Mm-hmm. Where was Adam operating from? What, 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 what nature did Adam have? When he was created, what nature did Adam have? He was made in God's image, so God's nature. Made in God's image and God's nature. When Adam sinned, what nature then then, then happened? <laughs> Simple nature. nature, right? So if we're being born again, right, a spiritual new birth, then we are starting to say that we are no longer want to operate under this sinful nature and we want to start changing our nature to a spiritual nature. That is what being born again is, right? So it's not just the fact that your history is no longer accounted to you, similar to how repentance or forgiveness would work, but it's also to say, I am no longer want to be a slave to the nature of sin anymore. Mm-hmm. We, we, we talked like maybe almost a year ago now um, about this idea about the, the natural man, the carnal man and the spiritual man, mm-hmm. right? Baptism is saying, I no longer want to be the natural man anymore. The natural man is someone who doesn't even um, get things spiritually, things just are happening, right? And I want to move to be a spiritual man. So everything is now, um, everything I'm doing is now trying to operate through spiritual things. So when we talk Mm -hmm. about surrender, when we talk about um, faith, this is now behaving in your life to say that actually now I don't belong to myself, I belong to God, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm trying to be a new thing. Right. um, When we talk, uh, when it says Romans chapter two, verse 12 says, um, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. Mm. Is is this idea, this renewing of your mind is not just the fact that your mind is going to start again from when you're a baby, but it's it's, it's a changing of your nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's get back to the story, right? So John chapter three. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he wants to come with this, um, this talk. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk together. I want to learn from you, you learn from me. We're both rabbis, yada, yada, yada. Jesus says, unless you're born, unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why I believe that maybe the water is talking about a natural birth is because of what he says next. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, right? So maybe the verses kind of go together and he's talking about one and the other. 
but we've talked about the interpretations of that already. So um, that was just born of the flesh is flesh and that was just born of the spirit is spirit. So when you were born again, you were then born of the spirit and no longer of the flesh. Yeah? Okay. Can we just... Sorry, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So you've just said that you're born of the spirit. The bend is now towards spirit instead of to flesh. Yeah? Yeah. But I think from experience, many of us understand that, you know, even after that step of baptism, of, of spiritual baptism, of going to God and saying, Lord, this ain't working for me. I need something better. And, and you know, asking for change. And yet still there's this, you know, reminder of, um, of the life that we've lived, of the things that we bend towards, of the sin that we love and that kind of stuff. Mm. So I know that five minutes ago, a lot of people were talking about, you know, a clean slate and no more wanting to kind of, you know, living in sin, having a perfect nature. But we still understand that even with now, I, I don't want to say even with a transformed nature, because it kind of defeats the purpose. But even after that prayer, even after that baptism, there's still that pull towards sin. So how does that get in this idea of new nature? Cool. Right. So this is this is what's cool, right? Um, you're surmising, right, Ruben, that having a new nature means that you will no longer be tempted. Right? Um, but we know for a fact, both through Jesus and through Adam, that that is, that is not true. Mm. Right? Having a new nature doesn't mean you can't be tempted, and it certainly means that you can't sin. Certainly doesn't mean that you can't sin. Right? So don't expect after your baptism that suddenly there's no more temptations and after your baptism, you will never sing again. This whole sin problem has now been erased from you. That's not, that's not what happens. In fact, as soon as Jesus gets baptised, he goes into the wilderness and goes for his strongest um, temptation or one of his strongest temptations, probably until the Garden of Gethsemane. And so... Um, and so what we know is that this, this renewing of your nature is not something that you'll necessarily say, um, I now know, feel not to sin. In fact, it's not actually anything to do with sin directly. Mm. Right? Having a spiritual nature is um, the difference, and we're going to actually go into this a bit more as we go through the study, but it's the difference between reading a text like John 3.16 and understanding it intellectually and reading John 3.16 and understanding it in your heart. That is what the difference in the spiritual nature does to a sinful nature in the sense of how you um, interact with God. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, I'm gonna give a little silly analogy. Yeah. <laughs> um, those that will get it will get it, but those that don't will think I'm a complete nut. But I heard this the other day, right? Um, basically, um, a cow moves because it's a cow. Not the fact that it moves doesn't make it a cow. Do you get me? So, like, if a cat was to move, it doesn't then become a cow, but the cow moves because it is a cow. But then if the cow was to like meow, it's, it, it doesn't make it a cow either. It's still like its nature is still a cow. 
Do you get me? You might not get it, but think about it for a while. <laughs> okay, um, I'm, I'm going to try to think about that. So you're saying if a cow, a cow is a cow and it walks, the fact that it's walking doesn't make it a cow, but because it's a cow, it'll walk. Yes. But if a cow meows, yes, it doesn't change. Oh, when I, I when I said moo, I mean like moo is like not move, but like moo as in like the sound that it makes. Oh, okay, moos. Yeah. Then what were you saying about the moos? So the moos doesn't make like the sound that it makes doesn't make. Oh, define make it to be a cow, right? Yeah, but it makes but... the moos because it's a cow. Yes. Right, but in terms of um, if it meows, then what? It it doesn't make it a cat either. So like the meow is like to co- to compare it to what we're talking about. The meow is um sin in this in this case, like because like right, have, okay. okay, because you have fallen, like it doesn't mean that you're not a child of God. But right, okay. because no, preaching, preaching, okay. So... <laughs> But like, so it's it's the it's the same with like works. Like, just because you do works doesn't mean you're a child of God, but you do works because you're a child of God. <laughs> there we go, people. Awesome. I think so. I think. Well, uh, let me try and um, say it a different way, right? So, if a cow moves, um, it doesn't move because it doesn't. Because the fact that it moves doesn't make it a cow, but it's a cow that moves, right? Um, but if a if a cat then moves, right? Just because the cat moves doesn't make the cat a cow. The cat is still a cat. I think that, I don't know if that makes it easier to understand. Yeah, you get it though, I can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, exactly. Your sin doesn't define you at that point. I think is what we're saying, right? Even if you're after you were born again, right? Your sin doesn't define you, but how you, do, how you treat your sin from that point will, should be different. Yeah. So you being born again doesn't say right from this point on you're never going to sin again. That means when you sin, you should be treating it differently to how how you treat a sin before you were born again. Yeah. And this whole idea about being born again is not something that you achieve, but something you receive. And so when we talk about Nicodemus, Nicodemus was trying to achieve this born again status through his works. But as Maz just said, it is, you know, you you give your your work show because of your faith and because of your relationship with God, not the other way around, right? Just and so, add- yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Rhys, I just want to add on top of that. My dad just said, um, you know, the cup, is it half empty or half full? Are we treating that sin from a place of lack and from a place of, uh, you know, we're just going to fall right back into it, so... I'm not building to anything or are we actually seeing that the cup being half full is a new baseline and we're actually you know thinking more positively and actually as you said treating the sin differently when it happens no this isn't how I am and who I am but mm. I'm actually building towards something more so and you know like, Ruben for sure and it takes faith and it takes faith because when you sin and you feel guilty you feel like you're the same person right you did. You, you you left something to God. You said, "God, I've got this stronghold in my life. I need you to fix it." And you fall. You feel like, boy, I'm the same person as I was when I wasn't baptized or before I made this uh, made made this change. But you have to understand that um, 
salvation is not because you suddenly clicked off sin. Salvation doesn't happen because suddenly you felt like, now I'm not sinless, therefore I'm worthy of salvation. Salvation is a gift. And so this whole idea of me being a new creature and, 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 and new is a, is a process over time as well as it is instant. And so it is mm. instant for God in terms of how he looks at you and how he, um, and how he behaves towards you in terms of you being a new person. You're covered by Jesus. But at the same time, you leaving sin behind is a process. Mm. And so it's you understanding that, you know, my mom was telling me um, last night, in Ephesians, it says we sit down at the right hand of God, of Jesus in heaven, right? Mm. Do we believe that or not? Because if you focus on your sin so much, so that your that your your God is your sin almost, because that's what you're trying to that's what you're trying to please, that's what you're trying to get rid of, um, then you lose the you lose the faith fact that Jesus has already redeemed you, right? I think, so I think yeah, I yeah, think yeah. what's it called? How many of us and how many people do we know that the reason that they choose not to engage with the idea of there being a God, of the idea that church is something that they can engage with or that Seventh-day Adventists might have some truth, the whole reason that they choose not to engage is because it's undoable and it's unachievable. So I'm just going to leave that because it just seems like it's something impossible. I'm not happy. I know, don't know how to make myself happy and I don't know how to feel like I'm succeeding at it. So I'm just going to leave it. And then, you know, with what you just said, it's like we're saved by grace, but grace can only be given to the sinful. So the, the, the sin aspect is what qualifies us to be saved by the grace. It's, mm. it's what actually allows us to be eligible. And a lot of the time it's that eligibility that, that makes us think that we can't come to God. But that's the whole reason why it says come, isn't it? Mm. So, yeah, I, I mean... I just hope I remember this once the study closed, but yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Thank you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay. So the danger is, right? The danger is that, and um, why Jesus is, has dropped this right on Nicodemus's plate, right? Nicodemus weren't ready for this when he came. He knew, he came to Jesus for a reason. He knew in his heart that something was different about him. And that's why he wanted to go talk to him. He was searching for something because he saw, he, he was looking at the scriptures he, he probably knew that Jesus was the Messiah already, right? These, these Pharisees are, are know the scriptures probably more than we do, right? So they knew the, the, they knew the prophecies, they knew the thing, they knew um, what the Messiah would, would be doing and what it would look like. So Nicodemus probably at this point is probably has a, quite a strong inkling that this could be the guy. And he goes to him and he's trying to have this conversation, he's searching and Jesus just drops this in his plate and he's not ready for it. Mm-hmm. Because in Nicodemus's head, what he wanted to do was seek for knowledge. Knowledge is the key. I need to know more and more and more. The more knowledge I have, the better um, I will be. Knowledge is almost like um, the key to salvation was knowledge. The key to salvation isn't knowledge. The key to salvation from Jesus' own mouth is being born again. So there's this idea with us in church, oh, we hear enough sermons, and it's almost like attractive. When you see something that you hadn't known in the Bible before, this is the, this is the, the scary truth about, about um, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, is that you can sometimes be attracted to the learning of knowledge, that somehow knowing more about Christianity means that you're a better Christian. It doesn't. 
learning more about Christianity has nothing to do with you being a better Christian. Being a better Christian is about being born again. Yeah? It's almost like, if you think of it in stages, right? The first stage is the knowledge. The second stage is the is then the knowledge being um, applied in a way that is going to make you um, say, Jesus, like, surrendered, like, Jesus, you need to fix me. Like, I'm broken, I'm messed up, right? And then after that, being born again comes surrender. But too many times we're stuck on this knowledge thing and we think the knowledge is great and knowledge is fantastic and uh, we're good to go and we continue our lives. That is why... Um, you may do Bible studies, you may listen to sermons, you may um, do all these things, you may even witness, but in your actual life, you see, feel no power, right? Because it's because knowledge doesn't save. Jesus saves. Yeah, that relationship which we were always talking about. Okay, so let's carry on, right? So Nicodemus is almost kind of hit in the face with this. Um, so... Let's continue verse seven. Someone can read verse seven. Do you not marvel? Oh, sorry, I quickly read seven. So yes, do you not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again? Where are we reading from? Uh, John chapter 3. The wind blows where it listeth, and I hear the sound thereof, but cast not, can't not tell, cannot tell where it comes and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Cool. So you can't, so like there's going to be a stamp on your forehead that's visible, at least not yet. Um, but people are going to see the fruit of it in your life. Cool, right? When this is um, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, but can't tell us where it cometh or goeth. Or, um, what, what is he like? What is Jesus trying to? Um, what's the characteristic of spirituality that Jesus is trying to show? And I think it was that just said it, but let's let's like crown it a bit more. Anybody? The wind bloweth where it listeth, and heareth the sound thereof, but can't tell where it cometh or where it goeth. What is he trying to say? Or what is he saying? What are even trying to say? That there's going to be a tangible effect. You can't, you can't physically see where it's going or physically touch it, but you can see what impact it has. For sure, there is a tangible evidence of the spirit moving. That's the word I mean. Yeah, right? Yeah. But what else is it saying? You'll get the tangible thing, which is um, probably the hearing. You'll hear it, right? But what But what does it mean when it says, um, it bloweth where it listeth, and also uh, you don't know where it comes and where it's going to go? Is it that it's unpredictable? 
mm. is unpredictable to who? What? Uh, are we talking about this? I think. Um, are you trying to say, like, if, like, say, if someone's born of the spirit, it's almost like if we were to see them and you know them from before, it's almost like you don't know where that change has come from. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah, Ainsley, yeah. you you hit the nail on the head for sure, right? Ruben, you going to say something? I've just, I've just, I'm taking Ruben's phone, but I was just oh, this verse. You know, it's like one of those things we always wonder: what does it mean? What is it talking about? And I'm here thinking: is this not the spirit of God when we have committed ourselves to Him? The fact that. You know, it's almost like feeling is almost like the enemy of progress um, in our in our um, salvation scenario because we won't always feel like we're getting somewhere, but it's whether we have the faith to persevere and keep going. Um, but I'm just in the of God. It takes us to different places, and we don't we don't we don't know exactly where it's going. But maybe that's a good thing because if we knew where it was going, we wouldn't need faith. For sure, right? So as these guys are saying, and this is kind of what we were saying before as well, that being born again means that at that point, right, um, things are going to start happening with your surrender as as a as a as a um, addition with your surrender. Things will start happening. Start, things will start changing without even you understanding where it's coming, and you won't even know where your life is going because we don't we can't understand things of God. This is the this it says this is what it, uh, this is for everyone who is born in the spirit. So this isn't like this doesn't happen with some people and not others. It says everyone who is born in the spirit, this experience will happen too. Yeah. So don't expect you to be like, oh yes, I know right now that this is this this is where God is changing me and this is where God is acting and this is where God is doing. Trust me, <laughs> we've talked about God's. Um, God's omnipresence and his and, and his and his uh, omniscience before and how he's controlling so many things uh, in the same time. It's, it's a similar it's a similar concept, right? And when Nicodemus is hearing this, it says Nicodemus answered in verse nine and said unto him, "How can these things be?" At this point, Nicodemus is almost um, shell shocked. This has never been Nicodemus's message. He's never heard this before in church. This has never been a thing. He's tried his whole life to do what is right, to be humanitarian, to do all the rest of it, to learn all the things of the Torah at that point and of the um, and of the Old Testament. And now Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You, you will not see the, the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? How can this even be a thing? Let me go into verse, um, verse 10. What did Jesus say? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Continue. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Cool. What is Jesus saying? 
saying what we're saying is true. You're here saying it's true. Jesus and his disciples. Sorry, go ahead. I say unto you that we we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. Yeah. So maybe he's saying like we know what we're talking about. Okay. Kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's in the context of what's happening and has the context of the conversation. He's answering Nicodemus's question. Oh, uh, to say as in like we are the people who are actually born of the spirit. Right. Hasla or who, was anyone else going to um going to comment? Nah. No. Okay. Um. So yeah, as I was was alluding to, right? Jesus says, uh, "Said unto art thou a master in Israel? Knowest not these things, right?" So Jesus is firstly saying, "Are you even equipped to be a, a leader right now? Because mm-hmm. what you're teaching is for people to be more like you." Right, so, so you know, you're a leader. You're a Pharisee. You, you came to me saying, "Rabbi, I hope not I'd say Rabbi to you." This is the reason why I'm not saying Rabbi to you, because you don't know this, and this is what you need to be saved. So, what you know outside of this really isn't helpful, right? But not only do I um, do you not know these things, but he's saying what I speak of, and what you know, as Imhotep was saying. Um, he says, we speak of, we know, because we can give that witness. So when you're witnessing to people, understand that you cannot speak of something that you haven't experienced. It's easy to regurgitate things. It's easy, easy to have knowledge of the Bible that we spoke about and regurgitate knowledge. But when we're talking about being born again and that experience of being born again, you can only really um, convey that in witness if you've experienced it. Yeah, verse 12. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man which is in heaven. Yeah, and most and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Cool. When he talks about that serpent, he's talking about the bronze snake to heal people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what is Jesus saying? Well, first he's saying, like, I'm telling you about stuff that's down here where we are. And you're not agreeing with that. How am I going to tell you about heavenly stuff? Where am I going to go? What's the fruit of that conversation going to be? And then he says, no man has gone up to heaven except him that came down from heaven. From that, you know, I think he is referring to himself. Is 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 this before? Well, this is before he's been crucified, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. At that point, I feel like he's referring to himself. But then there's also a part of me that thinks maybe he means to say that humans like were originally with God in heaven and then God sends us to earth. Am I? No, no, that's what <laughs> Yeah, never mind that. That's what uh, Yeah. Um, but then, and then the last part is he's talking about Moses lifting up the serpent. And we know those, if we know that story, um, like Moses was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And uh, was it Egypt? Yeah, 
yeah, two months of Egypt. And they were going to the promised land. And then at one point, serpents came and snakes came and bit them and they were all poisoned and dying from it. And God told Moses to make a, a snake out of gold, bronze or something. And if everyone who looked at the snake would be healed. So you're saying someone has to lift up the, the, the snake so people can look and be healed. And that's kind of what you're saying to do with Jesus. Cool. All right. So just to wrap this up, right? Jesus is saying, Nicodemus says, how can this be, right? He goes, Jesus goes through this whole thing about being born in the spirit, being born again. Um, and this is the key to, to, to achieving eternal life. Mm-hmm. Nicodemus is saying, how can this be? And Jesus replies by saying, the answer is who you're looking at. It's me. And how do I know this? Because I just came down from heaven. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. Yeah. So if you really, if you, if you really want to experience what we're ta- what I spoke about a few verses earlier, and obviously you didn't say a few verses earlier, but a few verses earlier, um, then you need to lift me up, like Moses did in the wilderness. And you know, I mean, this is a reference to um, to what. Jesus and the story again, the Israelites complain about manna. God sends, um, God sends or allows serpents to come bite their children of Israel. And they have to have faith that even though they're being bitten on the ground, that they can't be looking at their feet. They need to look up at the serpent. What does that refer to? What's the message in that? Shall I repeat the story again so you guys can get it a bit more? Or are we there? It's about salvation. It's about salvation, yes. But what is what specifically about salvation? And we've kind of mentioned it in the study already. About like focusing on what's happening with God and not about what's happening around us. Exactly, right? So it's very easy for us to look at our own problems, try to figure out ourselves, right? Look down at our feet. There's snakes down there. The smartest thing to do when snakes are at your feet is to look at your feet to make sure snakes aren't biting you, mm. right? That's the smartest thing to do. If 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 I if I said right now you're sitting in whatever room you're sitting in in your house and there's snakes on the floor, you would not be looking at the screen. You would not be looking at your phone or, or your laptop or whatever you have looked into this thing. You'd be looking at the floor if there's snakes on the floor, yeah. But what God was saying in that moment was instead of looking at your feet where the snakes are, have faith that looking at the bronze serpent will save you from the things that are biting your heels. So Jesus is saying in the same way God, Moses held up that that serpent is the same way the son of man needs to be held up. What are we talking about? Like life, life, but like you'll give me a bit more than life. Like how life gives you a lot of challenges and stuff, right? And distract you. Um, but we gotta keep our eyes focused on God. Exactly, perfect, and not so, not even so much about God, right? And not only just about life's challenges, but also about this sin problem. If I've got a sin problem. 
Um, where is my focus? Is it on the sin or is it on the son of man being lifted up? And the idea of some man being lifted up is Jesus being on the cross. Jesus being on the cross symbolizes what the forget that his his pain for our sins. Mm. And so if our eyes are on that instead of our own sin, that means that we're claiming the gift that God has given us, right? And that is wrapped up in this whole idea of baptism. Cool. Let's continue. Verse 15. I just want to interject with a quick point. I'm yeah. just uh, literally just, I guess, praise what was just being said. Because um, recently, you know, I've been listening to some songs and these songs were just making me think about the message was kind of like just the fact that we should be glorifying God and that we need to be glorifying God. And this idea that in Christianity, we've kind of like made glorifying God transactional in as much as God does this for us, God does that for us. And we give him glory, you know, because God got you a new job and because, you know, God, God healed your family member that was sick and because God gave you a car where that God is giving you success and prosperity. But I remember just this, this, I guess, this thought that's been in my mind for the last couple of weeks. It's just this idea of the fact that we glorify God based on who God is. And that is the, you know, that is the Christian thing. Um, and God blesses us as we do that. And so it's just this idea of if we're always focusing on our problems and not on the one who can fix those problems, then our, our focus is in the wrong place. But... It's, it's it's something that obviously I guess we we have to learn to do, you know. We have to learn to put God first and learn to appreciate Him in that way. Mm. But yeah, for sure, for sure. Fifteen, did you say? Um, from verse fifteen. Verse fifteen. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Cool. Let's, God... let's there, right? Who, who's okay. read that text and understood the context? We always did me. Who's read, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, or heard it somewhere, or heard it, you know, from the pulpit, or heard it, you know, this is probably the most famous text in all of the scripture. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But not, but not, has got to grips with the context. It's the gospel in one, in one verse though, isn't it? So it's not like a, we don't make it a simple concept to get the grip of. Does that make sense? Mm. It's better that a bit more, so... Like, what do you mean by um, we don't um, make it? I'm trying to speak from my belly here, and actually, it's too easy, and we don't really vibes with easy. We don't really vibes with things that aren't fair, and that verse in itself isn't fair. It's saying that actually, you know, the road to salvation might not be kind of easy, but it's simple, exactly. and it's it's, it's just accepting that this has been done for you and um there's another verse that says um i think present your bodies are living 
um, sacrifice wholly acceptable to the Lord because um, that's your reasonable service. Yeah. In a way, that verse kind of when you think for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. It's kind of he's done this for you and a response. And if you tie in the other verse that is your reasonable service, it's like just this has been done for you. How are you going to respond? There's only one way to respond. Mm. And even now I can say that and I can explain it like that. But to actually treat God like, okay, you've already won the victory for me. Okay, you're already working everything out. Okay, it's already been set. That seems very much um, out of our control and out of our wavelength and our understanding. So we make it a lot bigger than that. And so... 100% thanks Ruben. Um, it's crazy that, you know, we could read for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, and understand that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus right now. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in a context of Nicodemus, both thinking that works was doing him good. And also in the sense that Nicodemus came for an intellectual discussion. Those were the two mindsets which Jesus said this text with. Both, you think your works are doing you good and you came here to discuss with me on intellectual matters. And Jesus is saying, forget all that. If you just believe in me, everything that you're looking for from this conversation, you'll get. Everything. This is it. As, as Ruben just said, this is the gospel in one verse. If you, had, if you had nothing else of what of the gospel, you had this one verse. This is really what you need to know. Let's carry on. Verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Cool. Let's continue. Let's go um, all the way up to 21, actually. He that believeth yeah, on him yeah, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, let's stop there, actually. What is that saying? It says, he that, believe, he, he that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. What does that mean? The only, way, the only way to escape condemnation is to believe. Oh. The only way to escape condemnation is to believe, but what, 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 is the, what is the base level of everyone coming to this fact? That everyone is condemned. Everyone is condemned. Mm. Your, your, your first, the first level, everyone has come to the same text condemned. Everybody. And what does... Nicodemus included. Mm. Yeah. And what does condemned have it have to do with? It's the fact that we're guilty. Guilty people get condemned. Yeah, I think it's about because like, I think it's about too much like sin from Adam, and then um, like we all have that that nature and the sinful nature, and we slave to it without Jesus' help. We like to think of this thing as like we have a choice. Yeah, we don't. We're, we're, and we don't. We have a choice, but but we feel like we have a choice as in, oh, we could choose Jesus or we could choose sin. Hey, 
you chose sin a long time ago. Sin has been with you as a choice from birth. You and sin are like a connected long time. So really your choice is, are you going to continue with sin? It's not choose sin now, it's are you going to continue with sin or are you going to seek salvation? That's your choice. It's not, oh, should I at this point think, should I be sinful? And at this point now to choose to be um, righteous or be a Christian. You've been with sin. And Jesus still, God still gave his only begotten son to die for you. Now, the question is, right, this is the question that comes up from John 3.16 before we just finish the rest. Do we believe that this is talking about us individually? Like if, like if it said, for God to love the world, Reuben, um, for God to love Reuben, they gave us only begotten son, so that if Reuben believed in him, he should not perish for everlasting life. You can sub your name in. Do we believe that? Say that again, sorry, one more time. If you sub your name in, where it says everyone, yeah, it, where, it's, where it says the world, mm-hmm. right, um, where it says whosoever, yeah. sub your name in. Do you believe that? Yeah. Is it personal? Like, do you believe, right, if everyone else in the world was calm, and it was just you won. You won that was sinful. Jesus was to come do the whole thing that he did just for you. One. Is that how we believe? Like, like, understand what Jesus went through, right? Jesus was God. God in heaven. Right? God in heaven. Can do whatever. He, he can speak and things are happening. Anything that God wants or desires, he could do easily, calmly. No issues. And he thought that um, somewhere, where, where did it say this? I can't remember exactly where, but it says he thought it not robbery that he should stop being God. Um, Ephesians, and Ephesians, come down. Ephesians. Ephesians 2, isn't it? I think. I think it's, it's Ephesians 6, but somewhere at the end. The book. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, he thought it not robbery. Right, see, to, to, to stop being God and become a servant and die, right? Mm. That means God, Jesus knew from when he was in heaven exactly what life would be like when he came to earth, exactly what it would be. In fact, he begged the Father that he could do it. And when he did it, he wasn't so much so, he didn't think about it and think, oh, oh I'm going to have to go do that then. Like how you may feel if you have to go do the dishes. Oh, all right. Well, all right. I'll have to clean the dishes now. Like, or sometimes when you need to exercise. Oh, okay. All right. Let me start exercising now. It wasn't like that. It was. It wasn't a chore. I'm excited. I'm excited to go and do this thing. I'm excited to go experience life with my creation so that I can save them. And he would have been just as excited if it was you alone that he was doing it for. So when we when we see so God so loved the world, they gave us everyone. So whoever should believe in him should have have everlasting life. Don't think of this as a one size fits all. Everyone come in, you know. 
Jesus didn't just do it for me, he did it for everyone. Like if, you know, so it's not really love because, you know, he, he Jesus, he can't help but love everyone. It is personal. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus personally. He's not saying, yeah, everyone just needs to have this. It is Nicodemus, you, if you believe in me, you can have everlasting life. I came for you. So be born again, please, because this is what I came for. Yeah? Okay, let's let's do the last couple of verses. Um sorry, Ruben, you were gonna say something. Um, I was just gonna share. Um, I remember looking at sociology in school, I used to love that subject. And there was this one concept that we looked at called um, diffusion of responsibility where you know you can see something really bad happening or good or you know something that you disagree with or whatever it is but the idea that when you see yourself as part of a crowd is instead of an individual and you put the responsibility on the crowd instead of the individual mm. actually you actually look to other people and leave it to them to do it to take the responsibility rather than actually taking it yourself so when we're on this group chat and we're, what's it called, you know, someone asks a question and no one gives an answer, it's because, you know, we're all passing it on to the next person, leaving it on to the next person. Someone will answer. Yeah. We didn't do that in a in a one-on-one call. And it's just, it, it's what reminded me of when, you know, we've got this verse where it's so easy to say, God so loved the world. And we're definitely thinking, ah, oh, seven billion people. And I can do what I want to do. I can chill, I can, you know, because there's, you know, seven and, and there's so other many people that God can be speaking to um, in the meantime. And when I'm ready, I'll just come. But if we were to sub it out, and as much as I said, as so many people said, make it personal, then it really changes up the way that we can let ourselves read that verse. Mm, for sure, for sure. Can I, can I quickly add something as Yeah, go ahead, Um, In verse 17... Um, and I think maybe some other places as well. And when it says that the world through him might be saved, um, just goes to show that like it like him going through all that, like there was the possibility that everybody would reject Jesus and that actually no no one would be saved. But even like like he would go through all of that, like not just for like the certainty that people be saved, but even to give everyone like even just the opportunity or the or the chance, like he still said, like even if no one actually does, like it's still worth it to at least give them the opportunity. The chance. When you start comprehending like God's love, it's actually it actually gets starts to get ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It starts to get ridiculous. You actually start to feel bad that you've had to put God through that. Because it's like, I don't understand how like I'm worth that. Like, <laughs> you shouldn't, almost you're thinking you shouldn't have done it. That's how much the love of God is so, is, is perplexing. But here, here it is in the text. Yeah, let's continue um, so we can close in time for, for the next study. Um, but verse 19 to 21. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
for everyone. everyone oh. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Um, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deed may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Cool. What is Jesus saying at the end of this then? I'm not sure if I'm, I'm wrong, but I think he's kind of saying, kind of saying like, Naturally, for, like because we're sinful, we don't like seeing the light. Like in situations, we like we, we can't see like the positive side of things. But I think with the spiritual nature, like us accepting him, you can see like the light of what he, the benefit, like the blessing that he's trying to give us. I'm not sure if I'm wrong, but mm. I'm just, yeah. The question that it makes me kind of think about as well is this idea that um, you know. Is it nature vs nurture um, with what we know about God? Uh, do we only understand light because of what we've been taught? And this is, you know, Christianity and the Sabbath and, you know, all of these things. Or is it actually that even little babies and, you know, people that do not know God as, as we know God, know God is Jesus Christ or anything like that. Um, do they still understand light? Because back in John 1, um, we, we looked at that verse that said, Jesus is the light that lights everybody that's coming to the world. So everyone's exposed to that light. Everyone understands that light in a way. And then this verse is saying that, um, you know, everyone that does evil hates the light. So it's almost like even those of us that don't know truth as, as such, you know, word for word, even, even then people still have some measure of this is good, this is bad, this is for me and kind of on the side of life and this is against me and on the side of darkness and death. And it's just interesting because, you know, it, it, the next verse, it says, it, you know, we stay away from that light when we don't want to stop our foolishness, but when we actually come to him, come to that light, then it shows that he's the one that's saving us and not ourselves. And it links to a verse in John chapter one, I think it's verse like eight or something like that. That says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another and his blood cleanses us from all sin. And just remind me, verse, it links up. Yeah. Maz, are you going to say something? It was pretty much what um, Reuben was saying. Um, yeah, yeah, you guys kind of just just hit it on the head, really. There's this idea that understand that if you if you're doing evil, right, and you see this message, that you you have there's a choice that you have, because what the what it's gonna do is it's gonna show you what you are. Mm -hmm. uh, we as Christians need to start getting comfortable with seeing ourselves as we are because that's what happens when you read the bible and often what will happen is you will say oh you know what can't really read be bothered to read the bible today or can't bother to have devotion today because you're starting to feel some fatigue with seeing yourself as simple because it's because it's stress it's, it's energy that you have to put in to be like okay there's another bad thing that i am let me try and fix this now another bad thing that i am let me try and fix this now because that's what it's there for and we as christians we we that profess to 
to be born again and start to live in a, a spiritual context is now being um, now being okay with seeing yourself as sinful, being okay with being like, okay, let me look in this mirror, and God showing us and reproving us and being like, okay, and taking it and trying to change. That's that's and and using God's power to change. But you need to be able to constantly see yourself in a bad light, but also accept that Jesus through his promises understand that that's not how that's not how god sees you and so there's this <laughs> there's this um wrestle that it's talking about and at the same time those as your deeds become better they says those um that do the truth come to the light and their deeds are manifest and they are um that they are brought with god right um and so that means as you start changing you'll start liking coming to the light because at least then you're starting to see some changes. You're starting to see, wow, God did this in me. How amazing. And you give that to God, you say that was through God, great. And then you're ready to go move on next time. This is when we, we talk about like what's happening with um, with this Bible study, what's happening with um, when we go out on a, on a Friday night um, to see the homeless. It's like all of those things you have to give up to God. Wow, God has done something amazing there. But if you didn't cut, if you if you didn't if you were so soaked up with your own um, sinfulness and that you, you don't want to um, you don't want to accept the truth and you know you don't want to take Jesus's free gift, then all of those things are, are going to be difficult. And it all becomes down to this choice of are we going to be born again or not truly born again. Anyone can go in the water and be baptised. But are we actually going to be truly born again into this new spirit, into this new person? By faith, because sometimes it may not even feel like that is the case. um, I'm I'm keen to to finish before we kind of get to four o'clock. So is there any other um, points before we close? Just kind of a, a question, really, in a statement. Um, yeah, I remember, um, you know, I can't actually remember the summer, so I'm not going to reference it. I think it was something Sasha said, but I can't be 100% sure either, and she's not here to confirm. But um, I remember last year just having this kind of concept thrown at me that a lot of us, we don't see ourselves as sinners, and we're willing... You know, Reese, tell me if like kind of you see where I'm going with this and anyone else say if you kind of see where I'm going with it as well. This idea that when we're going through the struggle, we can't talk. But when we when we deem that we've come out the other side, when we deem like something's getting better, when we deem that actually we're more worthy now and we're not as bad as we used to be, that's when we're, you know, we find it easy to talk from a place of, oh, I've been through that. Oh, I understand that. Oh, you know, I, I've, I've experienced that before. And this idea that actually, if we were to share more of our experience in the struggle, more of our experience as imperfect people and still leaning on the grace, then it would be a lot easier to kind of relate to each other as Christians. But that sometimes Mm -hmm. relate to each other as perfect people. I used to go through that. I've had this problem before and not really as people that are still every day struggling to understand, struggling to kind of grow, but still not giving up. And I was just wondering what everyone thought about that. 
I think what you said, like, there's actually no lie in it whatsoever. And, like, the, there is a reason why people are put off church. And there is there must be a reason why people assume that Christians are perfect or Christians think they're perfect. Like, it, it hasn't just come out of nowhere. Um, and there's a reason why people think, I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess we're all hypocrites, but th- there's a reason why Christians in particular are, uh, are named as hypocrites. And yeah, maybe we could do with, well, we definitely could do with some more transparency. I think you're right. 100%. How much can Nicodemus have changed um, people, like affected people around him? And maybe he came up and said, you know what, I didn't know. I didn't get it, but now I do. Like, and being transparent with the the people around, you know what I mean? Um, through this, through this experiences he, they had with Jesus. Um, but having said that, right, talking about um, our witness, um, just to close, Nicodemus at this point probably went away and kind of studied things for himself again, kind of got this new understanding, but he was still a Pharisee. And change didn't happen right away. But what we see later on in, in the chapter um, of John is that when Jesus died, he was um, there with, with, um, with um, who is it? Uh, I, can't remember, I can't remember the other guy's name, it's just left my mind. But um, both of them went to go collect the body of Jesus. Um, Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea, yeah. Um, went to go collect the, the body of, of Jesus and, and, you know, put him in the tomb, etc. because, um, and, you know, Nicodemus was there putting spices on him, um, you know, paid good money to do that. Um, and it was at a time where if he had, you know, linked himself with Jesus, Jesus had just died. So half of his followers had run away. At this point, you linking yourself with Jesus probably wasn't a great look. But he was happy to do that because something about his experience of Jesus at this point, we don't really hear about Nicodemus too much after this point, but it just shows us in our witness that even, you know, Jesus, the greatest missionary, the greatest teacher that the world has ever seen, can have an experience with someone and three years later can start to show some change and some some, um, spiritual growth. And so, you know, just in terms of our witness and also in terms of our development, things sometimes take time. But it's to know that and have faith in God that he, he is, he's, a, he's, he's you know, the, the author and the finisher of our faith. And he's going to finish what he started. But yeah, um, is there anything else before we, before we close? No? Okay. Uh, it was that Yeah. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for giving us this time to come together and try to understand a bit more about the spirit of your word and try and understand a bit more about you from your word and your character. Um, I want to ask that you will help us to continue to reflect on these concepts going forward. And bless us until the next time we got together. Jesus, now I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thanks, guys, for coming. Shall see you next week. Salve, guys. Thank you for a good study. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.